Chapters eight, nine, and ten of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Eight got linked. Here comes my mother, said Edmund, as the rustle of Mrs. Stanton's dress sounded on the staircase. The bell clanged out its summons at the same moment. Why, how pale you look, child, said Mrs. Stanton as she kissed her adopted daughter. Do I, dear Auntie? i've been in the garden a good while and the morning is rather sultry it has given me a slight headache poor little head so busy and thoughtful for others said mrs standen smoothing the girl's soft dark hair from the calm brow mother and son kissed each other in the old hearty fashion the cloud was quite gone it had melted in those passionate tears wrung from the mother's wounded heart five women servants came filing in there was no indoor man at dean house mrs standen loved the neat-handed phyllises of her own training but would not have consented to be domineered over by a skilled butler the cook and mrs standen's confidential maid both elderly women and three buxom girls parlour house and laundry maid comprised the dean house establishment prayers were read and the morning chapter and breakfast began mrs standen had hardly taken her place in front of the urn when a shrill peal from the gate bell startled them all this was essentially the visitor's bell all tradesmen and beings of an inferior order save the postman or an occasional stranger entered by the stable gates who can it be so early exclaimed edmund thinking of sylvia could she be ill or in trouble of any kind had she sent for him the parlour-maid brought in one of those ominous yellow-covered messages which strike terror to some simple hearts it was before the days of postal telegraphs this had been brought from monkhampton by special messenger half a crown to pay please ma'am said the parlour-maid laying the document by mrs standen's plate and will you please sign the paper to say when it came the sight of that bilious-hued envelope agitated mrs standen telegraphic messages were rare at dean house she looked at the paper helplessly let me do it for you mother said edmund looking at his watch the telegram could not be from sylvia so he felt quite comfortable about its contents let the universe crumble she was safe he scrawled the required figures on the paper fished a half a crown from the loose treasury in his waistcoat pocket and gave paper and coin to the servant while his mother read the message what's it all about mother he asked apprehending no calamity but his mother had grown deadly pale and handed him the telegram without a word from Hanside and Pengrose, Gray's Inn, to Mrs. Standen, Deanhouse, near Headingham. Sad news from Demerara by mail arrived last night. A friend telegraphed to us from Southampton. Mr. Sargent died suddenly of heart disease on the 15th of June. Mrs. Sargent seriously ill. Someone ought to go to her at once if possible. Her brother would be best as he could arrange business matters we fear that mr sargent's affairs are left in a far from satisfactory condition the mail steamer for st thomas leaves southampton at noon to-morrow letter to follow poor george in the very prime of life only six-and-thirty and to be cut off suddenly murmured mrs standen in tears oh auntie what has happened asked esther george sargent is dead and to think of my dear girl alone in a strange country what are we to do edmund how can i ask you to go to her she thought of his infatuation 
would he tear himself away from the land that held sylvia carew even to succour a widowed sister need you ask me to do my duty mother demanded the young man quietly of course i shall go to demerara poor george one of the best fellows in the world but i fear by no means prudent i dare say he has left his affairs in a state of muddle don't cry dear mother we'll send ellen a telegram to say that i shall follow it as fast as the steamer will let me i shall go up to london by the one o'clock express and start for st thomas by the mail to-morrow how good how noble you are edmund exclaimed mrs stanton to whose maternal mind this self-abnegation seemed almost roman heroism i'm not afraid to leave headingham mother the young man said in a lower voice for his mother's ear only i can trust in your honour and have no fear that you will use your influence to part sylvia and me while my back is turned no edmund i am not base enough for that i will go and see her if you like with a great effort while you are away and try to like her do dear mother you have but to know her in order to love her edmund looked at his watch it was not quite nine he had three clear hours in which to bid sylvia farewell and speak to mr carew he was resolved to leave nothing unsettled his engagement to sylvia must be an established fact before he left headingham what shall i do without you edmund said the mother with a sigh while he tried to hurry through his breakfast eating and drinking mechanically come dear mother there's no occasion for despondency i need not be away more than three months at most six weeks for the voyage to and fro and a month or so at demerara i am to bring nelly back with me i suppose of course what should she stay there for poor child she will have a pension i suppose but very little besides if george has died in debt he was always so reckless and counted so much upon his expectations from his uncle the general and now the uncle has outlived the nephew how sad vitae summa brevis spemnos vetat incohare lungam muttered edmund it's dull work waiting for dead men's shoes tell your poor sister that she still has a home here edmund that she need think of no other and the children inquired edmund with a wry face are they to come here too let me see there are three of them aren't there i think the last was the third you might do something more than think about the number of your only sister's children said mrs stanton reproachfully they come so fast one hasn't time to get a fixed idea about them well i'll bring her home mother little ones and all i don't suppose you'll quite like their sticky paw marks upon the mahogany furniture or their broken toys in the corners of all the rooms but they'll help to amuse you and esther when i am gone he spoke cheerily to comfort his mother yet there was a weight of sadness at his heart notwithstanding three months three long months in which he and sylvia were to be parted how i shall yearn for one touch of that little hand and how i shall pine for my dove he thought and how often in two delusive dreams i shall fancy her near me only to awake to the bitter pain of separation he made short work of his breakfast and started up with an apology to his mother and esther to set out for headingham you'll get my portmanteau packed won't you mother he asked you needn't have much put in as i haven't the right kind of clothes for a tropical climate i'll go to an outfitter in cornhill and get properly rigged out you can order the dog-cart for half-past twelve and have the portmanteau put in 
i'll be back by that time are you going to headingham yes i am going to have a little talk with my future father-in-law mrs standon shuddered it was bad enough to think of sylvia as a daughter-in-law but it was worse to think of sylvia's father the village schoolmaster the man who had forty pounds a year with a house to live in coals and candles it was too dreadful to think that this humble official would by and by have a right to enter dean house would be a relation to its mistress by marriage and the man looks and talks like a gentleman thought mrs standon that's the worst part of the business there must be some good reason for burying himself alive at headingham she sighed not yet reconciled to the idea of her son's marriage although moved by a sudden impulse of gratitude and generosity she had just now promised to visit sylvia she looked at esther's earnest face which was turned towards her full of tender compassion she looked and thought with a sharp pang of a hope which she had cherished for years and abandoned only a few days ago tears came into her eyes and she turned away her head with a sigh dearest auntie why are you so unhappy asked the girl affectionately is it about poor mrs sergeant no my dear it is about my son he has made up his mind to marry against your wish i know all about it auntie edmund told me this morning mrs standon turned towards her with a look of sharpest scrutiny and you are not angry with him for such a choice why should i be angry all that i have to wish for is that he may be happy and if he can be happy with sylvia carew what does it matter that she is not his equal in social position she is really very ladylike in her style and appearance and better educated than you might expect if he can be happy repeated mrs standon with intensity yes esther it is that if which troubles me nine sylvia at home Headingham looked its brightest in the morning sunshine as Edmund Standon walked along the little street in the valley, where the brawling brook ran merrily in front of the cottage and gardens, and under the green hedges across which an inquisitive old white horse, or a comfortable-looking cow, red like the rich loam of the valley, sometimes thrust a big clumsy head with half-stupid, half-inquiring eyes. The churchyard wore its accustomed aspect of shady repose as Edmund crossed it by the familiar footway that led to the old schoolhouse a shrill clamour of juvenile voices sounded through the open windows for mr carew's scholars worshipped minerva and the muses somewhat noisily the old old schoolhouse for which mr vancourt the vicar was anxious to substitute a smart gothic erection had a certain rustic picturesqueness of aspect likely to be wanting in the modern building house leek and stone crop grew undisturbed on the time-blackened thatch which sloped steeply down to the very windows of the schoolroom and parlour the upper story was entirely formed by that sloping roof the bedchambers all angles with latticed dormers peeping out of the thatch the indefinable charm of antiquity pervaded the building the cob walls faced with crinkly-looking plaster were half hidden under the rich growth of century-old myrtles and climbing roses the half-acre of garden where flowers and vegetables grew side by side in brotherly love was bright with hollyhocks and carnations big hoary lavender bushes breathing their sweet perfume on the summer air the scarlet blossoms of the humble bean the grey-blue bloom of the onion to edmund this morning the schoolhouse seemed a delicious dwelling-place 
he thought of the steamer and the long weary voyage to demerara and longed to stay here and loiter away a tranquil existence in endless joy instead of doing his duty in that state of life which providence had assigned to him if all other trades fail i can turn schoolmaster he reflected i wouldn't mind teaching stupid boys half the day if i could spend the other half with sylvia he opened the door which communicated with that part of the schoolhouse appropriated to mr carew's residence this door opened straight into the parlour a fair-sized room poorly furnished but neatly kept and displaying some little attempt at embellishment which looked like sylvia's handiwork white muslin curtains draped the two low latticed casements a row of flower-pots screened the window that faced the sun a few cheap prints decorated the walls a flowered chintz cover concealed the shabbiness of a decrepit sofa three rows of books on hanging shelves and a smart china inkstand and a desk on a little table brightened the recess by the fireplace a pair of green glass candlesticks and a cracked china vase adorned the high chimney-piece it was not the room of a slovenly housewife and mr stanton looked round him with admiring eyes if his betrothed imparted grace even to such poor surroundings what a charm would she lend to the fair home he hoped to give her sylvia was busy in the adjoining room a very small kitchen for mr carew's pittance did not allow him to keep a servant and his daughter had to manage the household work as best she might happily for him she managed it deftly kept their poor rooms the pink of cleanliness cooked the epicure's small dinner to his perfect satisfaction never left pails of water or empty jugs standing in his way rose with the birds and got through all the rough part of the work before the headingham gentry had left their pillows in order that no one should see her in her common cotton gown with sleeves tucked up to the shoulders happily for her own peace of mind the work of cleaning those few rooms was not enough to redden or roughen her pretty hands and arms she had contrived to minister to her father from the time she was twelve years old without injury to her growing loveliness indeed her beauty may have been improved by that enforced activity which preserved the fresh bloom of her cheek and the liquid brightness of her eyes she heard the sound of the opening door and her lover's footsteps and came out of the kitchen where she had been preparing the remains of yesterday's chicken for to-day's dinner the happy look which edmund knew so well flashed into her face at sight of him and then changed curiously to a look of fear my darling what is the matter he asked folding her in his arms you have come to tell papa she said and i am frightened i know he will be disagreeable insult you perhaps if you tell him your mother's determination why not leave him in the dark edmund just ask his permission to marry me and no more my pet you ask me to do a dishonourable thing answered edmund kissing her fair forehead at the end of his sentence lest the reproach should seem too severe and even if i tried to deceive your father i should most likely fail he would ask for a settlement or something of that kind which he could hardly get from a pauper sylvia shuddered at the word it is hard to bid good-bye to one's brightest dream and sylvia's had been the fancy that she had won the lover she loved and a rich husband in edmund stanton i must tell mr carew the truth dear and i can't tell it too soon said edmund firmly but i'm sorry to say i've more bad news for you this morning bad news how can you have bad news what more can your mother rob you of my bad news does not concern our fortune sylvia but our parting i am going away from headingham for three months 
the girl's cheek paled but no tear clouded those brilliant eyes she looked at him fixedly her lips quivering you have changed your mind you are going to give me up she said give you up when i am here to ask your father for your hand to give him formal notice of our engagement what is to part us then duty sylvia which calls me far away he told her about the news from demerara and his immediate departure sylvia pouted and looked disconsolate she had no sympathy with an unknown widow above all when that widow was the very person for whose benefit her lover was to be robbed of his rightful inheritance it seems hard that you should be obliged to go edmund she said one would think your sister might find someone else to settle her affairs and bring her back to england that is to say if she wants an escort i thought married women were independent and could do everything for themselves but think of her trouble sylvia her husband so suddenly snatched away from her they have been married six years and it was a real love match i never knew people more attached to each other what took them to demerara asked sylvia still disconsolate george was a barrister with a very fair practice when he married and he and my sister lived as happily as a pair of turtle doves in a pretty little house at south kensington but two years ago he got a judgeship in demerara it was too good to refuse so off they started to my mother's regret when they were in england they used to spend a month with us every autumn of course thought sylvia scheming to cheat you out of your fortune sylvia said edmund earnestly this parting won't make any difference in your love will it you mean to be true to me the loving eyes looked up at him the little hands clasped his what need was there of any further answer i love you too dearly to change she said and then added meditatively i sometimes wish i didn't but why my own one because i don't think our love is lucky for either of us what has it given you but trouble in the present what does it promise us in the future happiness darling happiness which is not to be gauged by the measure of a man's banking account trust your fate to me and we will be happy together rich or poor already the clouds are lifting my mother and i had a confidential talk last night which ended pleasantly she loves me with all her unselfish heart dear soul in spite of her prejudices and she will learn to love you too my pet in good time she has even promised to come and see you while i am away even repeated sylvia with ever so faint a sneer i'm sure i ought to be grateful for so much condescension you'll receive her kindly sylvia for my sake i would do anything for your sake said the girl fondly she was swifter in her changes of mood than an april sky and you will be constant sylvia i cannot help being constant i never loved any one but you and to the end of my life i shall love you and you only and she meant it ten a humiliating rejection edmund stanton's interview with mr carew was far from satisfactory his candour evoked no responsive generosity from the schoolmaster if your mother means to disinherit you and you have to begin the world without a sixpence i can't see that my daughter will better her position by marrying you said james carew dryly he had left his rough gang of scholars to their own devices and come into the parlour whither sylvia had summoned him and whence she had fled leaving her lover to fight his battle as best he might 
we love each other pleaded edmund that's a boy and girl reason but i cannot see that mutual affection is sufficient ground for mutual starvation to talk about marriage now with your way to make in the world is a sheer absurdity come to me by and by when you are able to keep a wife and i may be able to give you a more favourable answer i don't ask your consent to an immediate marriage replied edmund i am willing to wait a few months by the end of that time i hope to have won a secure income and a home for my wife she has not been accustomed to splendour or luxury he added with a glance at the homely parlour and she will know how to manage matters upon a moderate income she has been accustomed to the sharpest poverty answered mr carew but that is no reason why she should endure its stings to the end of her days so lovely a girl as my daughter ought to improve her position by marriage which means that you would sell her to the highest bidder said edmund bitterly nothing of the kind it only means that i will never give my consent to her marriage with a man who has less than a thousand a year of fixed income that is little enough for the wants of modern life added mr carew with as grand an air as if he had never existed upon smaller means then i am to understand that you refuse your consent said edmund pale with anger absolutely and whatever influence you have with your daughter will be used to prevent her marrying me decidedly very well mr carew i am bound however to inform you that i do not believe your daughter will abide by your decision in this matter there she must please herself answered the schoolmaster coolly i can only try to prevent her throwing herself away but if she has set her heart or her mind whichever it is that governs a woman's impulses upon marrying a beggar i cannot help it i can only forbid you my house he concluded as loftily as if the low-ceiled parlour had been a mansion you need not trouble yourself to do that replied edmund this is the first time i have crossed your threshold and it shall be the last i only came here to-day because i had a duty to perform oh it was your duty to tell me after you had stolen my daughter's heart said the schoolmaster edmund did not reply to the taunt though it wounded him it was sylvia's fault that he had not made this communication sooner he could not tell her father that i am going to leave england for some time on family business he said quietly will you allow me to bid sylvia good-bye i will allow nothing of the kind i will countenance no manner of communication between you if she choose to disobey me let her take the consequences of her own act and do penance for her folly in a garret or a gutter i shall not pity her and i shall think i do a good action in removing her from the custody of such a father exclaimed edmund angrily good morning sir said the schoolmaster opening the door my pupils are clamorous and i must return to them edmund gave him a haughty bow and went out his bosom swelling with indignation what would be said in headingham should it be known that he had sued for the schoolmaster's daughter and had been contemptuously refused his heart beat high with wounded pride he was sufficiently provincial to consider himself of some importance lightly as he might affect to regard the difference between his rank and sylvia's when he pleaded love's cause with mrs standon he felt that in his person the respectability of the standon family had been outraged 
in this little burst of resentment he had almost forgot sylvia and love he was crossing the churchyard and had just reached a spot where the shade of cypress and yew was deepest an unfrequented nook by the ivy-mantled tomb of the bossonies when a light step sounded behind him and presently sylvia's hands were clasped upon his arm edmund could you leave me without saying good-bye anger fled at the sound of that voice he looked down at his betrothed with the old loving look mingled with sadness my dearest it would have broken my heart to part thus but i had no time for lingering and your father forbade my seeing you my father i don't care a straw for my father's commands where you are concerned i think i should have run all the way to monkhampton under the hot sun to catch you at the station if i hadn't overtaken you here but i have caught you stop a minute edmund in this dark shade and give me one more kiss before you go and tell me once more one little once that you love me the kiss and the assurance of affection were repeated a good many times god bless and guard you my sweet wife in the days to come said edmund tenderly the words startled sylvia and she looked up at him curiously it was the first time he had ever called her by that name your wife she repeated do you think it will ever be edmund what sweetest our marriage you see there are two people to hinder it mrs standon and papa perhaps they will put their heads together and plot against us my mother plot for shame sylvia you needn't be offended i said papa too i'm sure he's not above plotting everything seems against us this voyage to demerara for instance as sudden as if you had received a summons from someone in the moon do you honestly think we shall ever be married edmund yes my own love if we are but true to each other he kissed her once again and this time it was verily the parting kiss for the great hoarse bell of the church clock boomed out twelve heavy strokes till the air round them seemed to tremble the stalwart cypress to shiver be true to me darling he cried with almost despairing fondness be true to me as god knows i shall be true to you then with a desperate wrench he put her away from him and hurried away blinded by tears his manhood was ashamed of good-bye was a word he had not courage to utter and so he left her leaning despondently upon the tomb of the bossonies not weeping tears with sylvia were rare but breathing languid sighs for the loss of so true a lover how dull the place will seem without him she thought dejectedly End of chapters 8 through 10